Hi there and welcome. If you were looking for a podcast, you've come to the right place. My name's Karen and this is the Woman Inspired Podcast. You don't have to be a woman to listen to it, but I am a woman who has been inspired by many things and I'm your host. Again, my name's Karen and you can find out more about me by going to womaninspired.com. You'll also find out a little bit more about my ministry, uh, speaking engagements, books, a whole lot of ridiculous stuff too. So I'm glad you joined me today. I am here to hopefully inspire you with true life stories and all sorts of little things that might come out of my mouth that I hope inspire you as much as they've inspired me. So if you haven't listened to any of my other podcasts as of yet, you can go to the womaninspired.com uh, website and click on the Podbean podcast player on the website, or you can tune in wherever you're tuning in now, whether it's iTunes or Google Play, Spotify, um, and hopefully you'll subscribe and follow me. And if you like the podcast, or even if you just like it a little bit, or you love it, I hope you'll share it with someone else. If you wouldn't mind, you can also pop on over to Instagram and follow me on Instagram at One Woman Inspired. That's the number one, followed by Woman Inspired. So today's podcast is titled Sticks and Stones. Each and every podcast, though, I start off by sharing what I call a pod quote, which is a, a snippet of encouragement or something that is hopefully thought-provoking, uh, sometimes serious, sometimes funny. And today's pod quote is from Joyce Meyer. Words are containers for power. You choose what kind of power they carry. And as always, I shall repeat that in case you want to write it down. Just don't attempt to do that if you're behind the wheel of a big rig or something. So let me do it again. Words are containers for power. You choose what kind of power they carry. There's an old saying that most of us learned when we were little kids. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, that saying might have been fun to chant and throw at someone who's bullying you, especially when you were younger, but it's not true. It's a nice little sing-songy platitude, but let's be real, words do hurt. In fact, words don't just hurt, but words can heal. Words have power. They can slice, they can dice, but they can also fix. I'm someone who believes strongly that your actions have to match your words. In fact, if if all that was ever thrown at us were words through the Bible and words that came out of Jesus' mouth, but they were not followed up with actions and the fulfillment of those words through God's actions, our humanness would never have believed in him. God, who is in his infinite wisdom, knows this about us as humans. And this is why he says to test him. This is why he continues to prove himself over and over and over to us, even though he shouldn't have to, and he he never has to. It's it's what he does for us because he knows us, because he's our creator and he made us. Jesus would have been a, a nice character to read about in a book if his love didn't actually run red on the cross. If if the tomb hadn't been found empty or if he didn't walk through the wall in the upper room or rise up to the heavens, they would have just been words, right? I mean, so maybe you're not sure what I'm talking about. If you're not, I'm talking about how Jesus died for us on the cross and he was risen. He came back to instruct his disciples. He ascended again and, and now he will return again. We have a record of not just his words, but his actions. 
in what we call the Bible or what many of us call the word. His words and actions tell our hearts, our spirits, and our minds that he is our savior. He's our Messiah. He's our king of kings. If God's actions hadn't matched the word, then we wouldn't believe. We would not have faith. We would not know truth from a lie. So actions are extremely important. However, words do matter. There's power in words. Take the Bible, for example. It's the most powerful word there is. God's word was written on our DNA, literally. It's it's not just that, but by God's very breath and words, just by him speaking into the void, God created God is our creator, and just by his word, we are. That's pretty powerful. The Bible has more than a few choice words about, well, about words. <laughs> Proverbs fifteen eleven says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Why? Because there is power in words. Proverbs 15.4 says, The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. And Proverbs 16.24 states that, Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and healing to the bones. Wow. If only we could plaster those words across the screen before anyone, anywhere, everywhere, posted something on social media, huh? Maybe someone would take pause now and then, we hope. Um, well, words have more than just the power to keep peace and create wars, though. They have more power than the ability to soothe others or to stir them up. Words are also a testimony to what lies in your heart. Our words and actions are an extension of our thought life and our heart life. Our words are an open tell for anyone who is observing us. They tell others what the condition of our heart is. Matthew twelve thirty six thirty seven says, But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. That's an eternal thing, but it's also a thing in everyday life. Unfortunately, it's so easy anymore to just spew things out and not have to feel like we're accountable for them. But we will be, whether in this life or in the one to come, we will be held accountable. And we cannot forget Ephesians 4, 29, an oldie but a goodie. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Wow, that can be a really tough one, right? I mean, I can't be the only one that falls short at times of conquering my mouth and what flies out of it. I mean, that's why it's so important to go back to the word, to the Bible, to get the word on how God wants us to use our words, because there are power in them. There are words, people. There's power in them. So does this mean that God doesn't want us to joke around or have a sense of humor, or get goofy or sing songs or laugh till liquids spew out our nostrils? No, it doesn't say that. But we can watch how our humor comes across. We can measure a bit better than we probably do, who we poke fun at, and why. I mean, whatever your motivations behind your sense of humor, and just as importantly, are you actually funny? I mean, (laughs) uh, because here's a newsmaker, my friends, a lot of people who think they're funny these days just aren't. 
They're cruel. They think being mean-spirited and attempting to make fools of other people or of themselves is a base for a good sense of humor. But it's not. And it leads to some pretty hurt feelings. Again, to say that words can never hurt is a falsehood. But somehow we've come to a place in our world and in our culture where words are just tossed out and thrown around as if they don't matter. Words are thrown out as if they can just be instantly retracted, like deleting a tweet or deleting a post on Instagram um, or Facebook. And just a simple sorry for those particular words makes it all better. Or as if we erase the written word that we've thrown out there, that it will erase the memory of it. But it, it doesn't. Not only is it eternally digitally printed somewhere in some memory on some hard drive, but it's imprinted in people's brains, in their minds, in their memories, and even on their hearts. So words do matter. They don't just matter as far as if you say the right words at the right time, but also if you say a word incorrectly, which can throw off the meaning of your entire sentence and cause you not to communicate well at all. As an example, it makes a big difference when you're writing something and you use the word there because it could be T-H-E-I-R or it could be T-H-E-R-E or T-H-E-Y apostrophe R-E. Each one sounds the same as the next but they look different and they all have different meanings. There are a lot of words that way and it can be confusing, especially in the English language or if you're translating one language to another. So the words that you say, how you say them, how you write them, the inflection in your voice when you speak them and really whether or not you get them grammatically correct at times or in the right order makes all the difference in the world. This is really important when you're communicating with, with excuse me, communicating. I can say that word. <laughs> I can't say communicating when I'm communicating. All right, let me try it again. This is really important when you're communicating with someone, um, you know, another person that you have a relationship with, but also when you're writing or especially if you're translating something. I think this is why we have so many versions of the Bible is in different translations because words that are used at different time periods in culture will also have a different meaning and significance. So when it's translated, that's really important. For example, when I was younger, if you use the word bad, it meant good. Okay, so... um Man, those are some bad looking shoes you got on there. Or man, that's one bad dance you got going on. Well, that meant it was good, not bad. But 20 years or 30 years before that, the word bad just meant it was bad. Uh, then we move into another decade when the word sick meant it was something disgusting or horrible or made you nauseous. But then fast forward 30 years into, into the future and the word sick meant something that is really cool or awesome. So it's no different and never has been from the beginning of time. This is why words are so important and not just how we say them and the slang at the time, but the cultural significance um, also makes a difference. So, you know, there are many words we use, for example, in America that have a completely different meaning in other countries. And if you throw one of those words out around someone who's from a different culture or a different country, you might just get something you didn't want or maybe even slapped. For example, if you tell someone from Europe that you want chips, they're probably going to give you fries because to them, fries are chips. And to us, um, chips are not fries. They're two different things. And if you tell someone from Ireland that you want a ride, 
expect to go back to their place for a little romance. She probably didn't expect because you may mean you want them to give you a ride like in their car to work, but they think it's something a little bit more intimate than that. And I remember when I was probably in elementary school, we wore thongs on our feet. Does anyone else remember that term? Well, they still use that term in England. Here in the good old USA, somewhere in the past 30 years when I was not paying attention, that term was changed to flip-flops. And the word thong is used for something that basically gives you an instant wedgie. So if you're, (laughs) I know, it's true. It's true, folks. And if you're visiting a family in Europe um, and they want to know where the dummy is so their infant will stop crying, they're not talking or being mean about their nanny. They mean a pacifier. Okay, so the topic of words um, is really important, and sometimes we forget. So I'm going to talk about the word, the spoken word, the written word, and the word in the Bible. But I'm also going to talk about things that have inspired me to love words and fall in love with words and to understand the significance of them. Some of them are humorous things that I want to share with you that have happened in my life, and some are pretty serious and one of those humorous things has to do with what I consider the misspelling of a word or more importantly, an unword. But it's also a cultural slang terminology that quite frankly is an issue for me. And I've had to learn how to deal with it because my husband and I were raised differently. I've lived all over the country and moved many times growing up and and through my adulthood as well. So my terminology and usage of words is pretty different than his and comes from various cultures across the United States. My husband is a country boy. <laughs> he was born in the South. And even though he lived out West for a while and he was in the Air Force when he was younger, most of his life has lived, been lived in the South. So his grammar, his terminology, and his slang is completely different than mine. This has caused many communication issues over the years, as you can well imagine. Thankfully, after much, much trial and error, we work pretty well together to communicate and have learned how to do so quite a bit better than we used to. So it's not always perfect, but there are times I have to look back and I just laugh because uh, my preciseness and my way of looking at words is completely different than his. Most of the time, unless I'm joking and being a smart aleck about something, which I'm sure you can't imagine I would do that. (laughs) Um, Most of the time, though, what I say is what I mean, and what I mean is what I say. So I don't leave much room for variation or interpretation or assumption or innuendo in there. Um, But my husband is completely opposite of that. So I know you're so shocked that two people could be married and be so opposite, but trust me, it happens. (laughs) As an example of what I'm talking about, if I'm going to eat a nice lunch with two pieces of bread, um, okay, scratch that, gluten-free bread, Yes, I am gluten-free. No, people, I'm not gluten-free because it's a trend I'm keeping up with. I'm not gluten-eating a a gluten-free, sustainable, toasted, dye-free, whole anti-grain with half-calf, no-foam latte brewed from hand-perked coffee beans from indigenous peoples in the third world country. Coffee on the side. Um, (laughs) Sorry, it's an allergy. Yes, as you can tell, I have a little issue with people telling me I'm eating gluten-free because it's a trend. Anyway, it's an actual allergy. So there you go. Um, sorry. All right, back to my story. 
So if I'm eating two pieces of gluten-free bread piled high in the middle with turkey, cheese, and a smattering of mustard, and maybe a slice of Swiss cheese on there, this is what I would call a sandwich. My husband would call that a sandwich. That's right. S-A-M-M-I-C-H. I'm guessing that's how it's spelled. This non-word sandwich. Now, some of you may be saying to yourself, um, or maybe out loud to your vehicle, so what's the big deal? But some of you may be groaning with me via an inner scream, crying out, no, no, not sandwich. As you can tell, I can't stand it when someone uses the slang term sandwich instead of sandwich. Oh, there's something about it that drives me crazy. It's just one of those things. We all have something that drives us crazy that we just can't explain to someone else. But I tried nonetheless because it's my husband. And of course, I'm married to someone who says sandwich. So I felt I had no choice. I've told him sandwich is not a real word. It's sandwich. It used to drive me crazier than it does now. So I ended up one day having a whole literary pronunciation discussion with my husband over the word sandwich, even though I always obviously don't pronounce every word correctly. There's just something about that unword sandwich to me. So which of course, when I let him know it bothered me, it made his testosterone go, ha ha ha, something with which to drive this female crazy. So, of course, he not only continued to say it, but he delighted in saying it. One day we actually had a huge argument over it. Oh my gosh, it was horrible. Yeah, that's what I call one of those estrogen versus testosterone stupid moments. You know, when one of those fights you get into for no reason whatsoever, other than the fact that you're right and he's wrong. <laughs> and you know you're right. And you want to prove you're right. And so your estrogen is saying, get out the dictionary, Karen. Go get the dictionary. Google it, write it down, prove that you're right. I am woman, hear me enunciate. So after a ridiculous amount of energy and time it took me to convince my husband and his testosterone that they were indeed wrong, we made up. Testosterone and estrogen meshed. We hugged it out and my estrogen was internally singing, I was right and you were wrong, na 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 na. So we decided to chalk that one up as stupid things we argue about and move on. And we decided to just let it go and enjoy the day. And then later on that night, we went out to dinner. We walked into this uh, nice, new, pretty Irish pub that we'd not been to yet, but had been wanting to go to. And as we walked in the front door, there on the chalkboard sign read, Enjoy our new double-decker sandwich of the day. So, yes, inside I was screaming, and my husband just stood there and grinned and didn't say a word. However, thanks to the poor grammar and English skills of the marketing person at the Irish pub or the chef or the cook or the hostess, whatever it was, the word sandwich is now forever used in my household. Not by me but by my husband. And all I can do is laugh because I can't live it down. Because there it was. Not in black and white, but in white on chalkboard. <laughs> so um, that's the day that I realized that words can not only be powerful tools to convince others that you're right and they're wrong, or vice versa, <laughs> but they can also cause you joy and laughter and really good memories. <sighs> so there is another way, though, in which words are powerful, 
and that's through prayer. James 5.16 says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And Jeremiah 29.12 states, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. God wants to listen to you. And in Romans 8, 25 through 27, we're told that when we are wordless, in other words, when we can't utter a prayer, when we can't audibly say the words that we have no words or that it hurts too much or, or, or whatever the case may be for us that we are wordless, the Holy Spirit will help us even to groan out a prayer to lift up to God. So at times we may be searching for the right words to pray and we may not know them. All we may be able to do is groan or cry or shed tears and know, though, that during those times, the Holy Spirit will intervene on our behalf to lift up that prayer that's deep within us, even when we don't have the words. But still, Jeremiah twenty nine twelve tells us that if we will call on him and come and pray, he will listen to us. So whatever's going on in your heart and in your mind, God wants to listen to you. He gave us words for a reason. So for those times when we know the words, but we just can't find a reason to say them or we don't feel like we can make or take time to stop and use them, that's when we need to turn to God's word, to the word, to remind us. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 is a scripture that I learned to cling to over the years. It helped me open my eyes and heart to the power of God's word and to the words I might be able to speak during prayer says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, anxiety over anything and everything used to be my daily grind, if you will. Ever since I was eight years old, at least that's the earliest I could recall, I've had obsessive compulsive disorder. It's something I'm very open about now, but I used to hide it because I had no idea really what it was when I was younger. I just knew that something was very strange about me that I didn't see in other people at the time. But my OCD became so bad when I was in my early 20s until my early 30s that I felt almost incapacitated. I was afraid of everything. I had such an amazing anxiety over just about every aspect of my life. There wasn't um, this wasn't just some trendy, oh, I think it's funny, let's make a TV show about it, obsessive compulsive disorder. This was debilitating, unable to function, count, repeat, everything had to be symmetrical, afraid of germs, can't function, obsessive compulsive disorder. I chronicled this journey, um, this part of my life through OCD in a book I wrote called Breaking Free from OCD. And for many years, I didn't realize how important the words that we speak or the words that are in our hearts and in our heads or, or how we verbalize them during our prayers were or what power they had. It's one of the reasons why words are so important to me because when I was about 33 years old, I realized that the words we speak can be life or death to ourselves and to others. And they can carry such an impact and meaning to our own lives as well as to others' lives that that they also matter, though, to our relationship with God. 
Most definitely, it doesn't matter if you speak in audible words to God or not. He still knows your thoughts. He knows your heart, and that's what's most important. You don't have to be speaking aloud in order to pray or praise God. But at the same time, we were given those words for a reason. And like I said before, once I grasped a hold of that fact that the words I communicated during prayer to, to God and the ways I lifted up my needs to Him mattered to Him, then... They started to matter to me and it changed my prayer life and it changed my life overall in a mighty way. OCD had buried so much of my life before this point. It had taken away my zest for life and entombed my spiritual gifts and talents. I was in a tomb, feeling constantly covered up and buried. After I heard a sermon that year, though, that wouldn't leave me, I realized that I had never prayed and asked God for using my words um, using my words in a way that was more meaningful and effectual and in a way that um, that I felt was powerful because I didn't understand the power of those words I was praying more of a type of a desperate prayer asking him to help my family and help my friends but but most of all I had come to a place where I was clinging to praying for him, praying to him for him to help me stop thinking so much, to help me to stop counting, stop repeating, stop caring about germs, and, and to help me stop obsessing over everything. Um, I asked him to stop, to help me stop doing and redoing and redoing everything. I realized, though, after this sermon about fear and anxiety that I had never asked God to take away my obsessive compulsive disorder. I had never asked him to take away my fears, which are the root of OCD. You see, when you're afraid of everything and you have this anxiety over everything, your brain can kick into this OCD overdrive mode to try to control something, anything. You may not be able to control the things you fear, but you can control how many times you fold a towel and how many times the light goes on and off. You may not be able to control if you get sick, but you can feel like you have some control by cleaning all the time or by not shaking hands with people and not going out to different places. So, Anyhow, the day this all hit me, I became so overwhelmed. I became so desperate. I was down on my knees. I could not utter a word, but was basically groaning and crying. No doubt, in the Spirit, as the Holy Spirit intervened for me at that time. And when I did that, it washed over me again that I had never used my words to ask God to take away the fear or the OCD. So I did. And once I did... Everything changed. For me, using the right words in the right way that day made all the difference in the world. It was powerful. It wasn't just asking God specifically for what I wanted and what I needed, which is very important. But it was also affirming in me that I finally understood the root cause of the OCD, which was fear. I was admitting my fear. I was confessing to having all this fear, and I had never done that before. God took away my OCD, where it used to make up 90% or more of my life. Within less than a day of that prayer, most of it was gone. I still had the bad habits and rituals that came with it that I'd been doing since I was an elementary age child. 
I had to deal with those and figure out how to get those out of my life too. But the need to do them was gone. The fears that were underneath them that drove them vanished. It took prayer and reading the Bible a lot, but God showed me through that and through that time period how to also conquer the rituals too. And what he showed me um, is, is also in the book and, and I share with that, uh, share with you in the book how that happened and what God showed me. I had to pour it out. I had to put it in a book. I had to share with people. I felt like I had no choice because it gave me such an amazing freedom and it it also helped me to understand that through my words and my story, I could also reach out and help people to walk through what I'd been through and hopefully help them have victory through their walk and have some sense of freedom and escape and not feel controlled and afraid anymore. I say this because I want to inspire you or someone, anyone, even one, one person to use your words, to use your words with God, to use God's word and, and know that words can take on a greater meaning to you like they did to me. Um, I understood the power of my own words and the power of praying the word and the power that the words in the Bible could have over my life. And I want someone else to understand that too. Words in God's word helped take me out of that grave that I felt entombed in. You know, there's a song by Passion and Christian Stanfield called Glorious Day. And the lyrics resonate with me because it's how I feel about the old me. The obsessive compulsive disorder controlled me and the new me. So I'm going to share some of those lyrics with you. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb till I met you. I was breathing, but not alive. All my failures I tried to hide. It was my tomb till I met you. You called my name, and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day. Now your mercy has saved my soul. Now your freedom is all I know. The old made new, Jesus, when I met you. You called my name, and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day. Okay, that was really hard to read those lyrics. Not just because it's emotional for me, but because I really wanted to sing them out. And that is not one of my talents. If it is, it's still buried somewhere really, really deep, deep down. Um, But you know, I sing those words every time I hear that song. And yes, I even shout them out. And if I'm in my living room, I dance to them. I'd like to encourage you to find that song and listen to it because it's really moving and it's something that just brings joy and um, I hope that you enjoy it as much as I do. Okay, so don't forget today's pod quote. Words are containers for power. You choose what kind of power they carry. Till next time, I pray that your words are careful when called for yet carefree because of the Holy Spirit and frequently laced with laughter.